Hey, I, I am not a big sports person, so I'm kind of on uh, thin ice here, but I understand that with football teams, there are some specialty teams, uh, some that just do very specific things, right? So there's the, the, the kickoff uh, and punt team, and then the opposite side has the, the, the kickoff return team, and then there's the field goal uh, and extra point team, and then there's the team that blocks the field goals. Uh, so they're these specialty teams. They just do one or two things. They run out when it's their turn. The rest of the players are just generalists. They're the offensive and defensive lines. And they have lots of skills. Uh, and they can bring them to bear on any number of situations that occur. When it comes to the character traits of Jesus that we've been talking about, I think there's some specialist ones and some generalists. So we've talked about kindness and peace and patience. I think those are specialist traits where... where it, Maybe it takes some, some special characteristics or something and some uniqueness to, to be like that. So, for instance, uh, you know, we think of the Dalai Lama, you know, as a person of peace. And we think, uh, you know, you can, you can well, I'll, t I'll tell you one in my life. My eighth grade Spanish teacher, wow, was she patient. I, I know that because I got out without any bodily harm out of that class. So she was a very patient person. And we can say, oh, wow, that, that person is so kind. Now, when it comes to goodness that we're looking at today, that character trait, it's more of a generalist thing where any of us can be good and we can bring all of our skills to bear into a variety of situations. It's not as easy to say, wow, that's a really good person over there. Or uh, the, way, the way that you might say, well, that's a really kind person. And we're looking at goodness, and it's particularly, it's good for any of us. It would be great for the world to be a little uh, more full of good people, uh, and especially for Christians, because goodness is important to Jesus. It's his character traits that we're looking at that we want to um, begin to take on ourselves. And we get these character traits, remember, from the book of Galatians, uh, chapter 5. And uh, we've been reading it out of the message. Of course, the ones that we're familiar with, more familiar, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, those. Um, and so here it is from the message translation we've been reading each week. But what happens when we live God's way? He brings gifts into our lives, much the same way that fruit appears in an orchard. Things like love, affection for others, joy, exuberance about life, peace, serenity. We develop patience, a willingness to stick with things, kindness, a sense of compassion in the heart, and goodness, a conviction that a basic holiness permeates things and people. We find ourselves involved in faithfulness, loyal commitments, gentleness, not needing to force our way in life, and self-control, able to marshal and direct our energies wisely. Goodness here is described as a basic holiness that permeates things and people, and I, I think that's a good start. Another commentary adds that goodness is generously acting on behalf of other people, which I like as well. And so let's try this one as a working definition of goodness. Goodness is the whatever-it-takes character trait. The whatever-it-takes character trait. 
Someone with, good, with goodness will unselfishly, even generously act on behalf of others. Um, doing whatever it takes. I have a friend like that. His name is Chris Dolkus. He's a, an insurance salesman. And Chris, uh, he's a generalist. And uh, I think of him as, as just a good person. And I began to see that when we had just a very brief conversation uh, on the patio of the church I was at. And, and he called me later that day and he said, hey, how about we play some golf? Uh, we had talked about golf. And to be honest with you, uh, up until then, it had been months since I had played. And just before that, it was years. So uh, to put it mildly, I'm a bad golfer. So, And I don't know what it's like to be a good golfer playing with a bad golfer, but I know what it's like to be a bad golfer playing with good ones. It's not that great. But Chris is good, and the other players that he got uh, with us for the foursome, some of them were very good. Uh, and I've played enough to have good players, you know, they, they, they try to be nice to you. And they, they say, hey, um, let, don't worry about that horrible shot. <laughs> it's only your sixth or seventh, you know, you'll get better in years. So... Uh, you know, but Chris wasn't that way. He, 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 he genuinely in, made me feel like it didn't matter to him how I played. His joy was playing, and uh, he was happy for me to be playing with him. And uh, he just expressed goodness to me. But that's not why I'm telling you about Chris. Um, when we got there and we went into the starter's uh, office, he knew both guys behind the counter by name. And when we got our cart and we were driving to, uh, to practice putting, he knew the guy that was in the cart coming the other direction and called out to him by name. And then when we got on the putting green, he knew the other two guys who were already there putting. And he didn't know them in the way guys know each other, like, how you doing? You know, he knew their names. He knew their kids' names. He knew their wives' names. And he asked about one, how's your wife doing with her cancer? How well do you have to know a guy golfing to know, for him to have told you that his wife has cancer? But that's not why I'm telling you about Chris. Because we got out going, and around the sixth or seventh hole, uh, the golf cart, uh, the, the, the drink cart lady came, uh, drove by. Chris knows her name. And, and stopped the game to talk to her. And not only did he know her name, he knew her son's name. And, and he said, hey, did he use that uh, traffic uh, driver training uh, course that I recommended? And I'm like, well, you know, he probably sold her the car insurance, wants to have him do well. <laughs> but no, he went on, he said, and how's that scholarship going at such and such a college? And, and which one is he finally, is he still thinking about how well do you have to know the drink cart lady to know what colleges her son is applying to? But that's not why I'm telling you about Chris. He bought a, a soda and a chips from the drink cart lady, $5. Gave her a $10 bill. Do you know that's a 100% tip? 100%. It's not, a, it's not big, it's not huge, but it was generous and, and he, just, he just did it spontaneously. But why do you think he did it? 
two of them were both on that golf course together. They'd been there together before. He's there because he's such a successful insurance salesman that he can be out of his office for hours playing golf with his pastor. She's on the same golf course to pay for her son's college education. Which one do you think needed the extra $5 more? And he just, he just did it because out of generosity, out of, out of goodness, and uh, out of, he just does whatever it takes. Whatever it takes, and he's happy to be there and to do that. It wasn't extravagant, but it was good. Uh, and a, for Christians, as I've said, it's even more important because Jesus is the original whatever-it-takes leader. Uh, he's the original whatever-it-takes leader. There's a lot to be said about Jesus in goodness. We can read all kinds of texts where he's being good. We even call the message of Jesus the gospel, which means good news. Um, Jesus did whatever it takes for others. Uh, and we know that about him, and he knew that about himself. So listen to John 10 uh, as he describes this, this part of himself that's willing to go and do whatever it takes. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because, he, because, they, don't know, because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. So Jesus has this contrast between a good shepherd who gives of himself to protect his own sheep he, he cares about, he loves the sheep, and so he's going to act generously on behalf of them. Uh, and his sacrificial goodness is contrasted with the hired hand, who, you know, we all love to boo and hiss, the hired hand, right? It's like, oh, he ran away as soon as the wolf came. Who wouldn't? They're not our sheep. You know, yes, they, they get wool, we get wool from them, but they're also headed for the dinner plate, you know, their destiny is already prescribed. Why would you risk your life and limb and possibly death just to protect one, to live a little longer? It, it, it's just a little bit of profit out of the shepherd's pocket. Yeah, we'd all run away. And we know, the people back then knew, that when it came to human relationships, because this is a metaphor for human relationships, sure, we, we do, we help one another, but it only goes so far. And Jesus is saying he goes farther. He's, he is willing to go and do whatever it takes. Uh, I love that by the time the book of Acts is written, there are so many stories about Jesus and about how good he was that, that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, he says in, in chapter 10, um, so, well, Jesus went around doing good. That's it. Uh, and if somebody said, well, Luke, could you expand on that a little bit? Could you be more specific? He'd go, well, yeah. You know what? He was kind. And, oh, my gosh, he was always filled with joy. And I have seen him be so patient with the Pharisees. And it doesn't matter what storms are going, he's at peace. Right? So some of those specific things all blend together into this one generalist category of goodness. Goodness truly means whatever it takes. And of course, when we do whatever it takes, ultimately it means that for Jesus, he went beyond his own interests for goodness. 
went beyond what was good for him, what, what, what would work well for him. He went beyond all of that for the sake of goodness. Knowing what we know, he put aside his personal interests so that he might go to the cross to die for others, way past anything that was in his own personal best interest. Um, and what's great about that, you, you talk about the end of his ministry and you see that about him, that he'll do whatever it takes and he'll go far past his own interest for the sake of others and the goodness for others. But you know what? At the beginning of his ministry, you saw the very same thing. The very first indication of Jesus doing anything miraculous, he's going far past his own interest. It's in John chapter 2 at a wedding. And uh, so it says this, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Jesus said, Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Verse 7 says, Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. Verse 9, when the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the Cabernet Sauvignon first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the rosé. But you have kept the best, well, right? I mean, seriously. That, what is, but you have kept the best until now. So uh, here's, here's what we see in this story. Jesus and his mother are invited to this wedding, which means they must know the bride uh, or groom or their family. But his disciples are invited too. Not all of them are from that town. They're invited because of Jesus and his disciples. So these 12 are invited because they're, they're his they're his guys, right? And there's this thing going on with Jesus. What's Jesus to all the people so far? A carpenter. And he's gathered a bunch of guys around him that are tax collectors and fishermen. And I, I don't know. It's like, it's like he's forming a band in his garage. And, and you know what? Nothing's happened so far. And so somebody at the, at the wedding goes, hey, why don't we get them to play for us? Right? It's like, almost like, well, yeah, yeah, let's see about Jesus. Um, and so, and any moms in the room? You, you ever try to be, uh, you know, you ever try to encourage your kids? So here's Mary. She's been with Jesus since the beginning. She's pretty sure he's the son of God, right? And, and here's an opportunity. Hey, it's all of our friends. You could do something cool. Why don't you do something? And uh, you know what? They'll all talk about it. Finally, I don't have to be keep keeping my secret. And, and Jesus says, Mom, Mom, it's not, it's not my time. I'm not, it's not our problem. And uh, she she, you know, knowingly, like moms do, she just says to the servant, yeah, do whatever he says. Because why? Because she knows he's good. And even if he didn't want to do something, he's going to do it. And he's going to go beyond his own interests and do it. So she says, yeah, you do whatever he says. So Jesus walks away. He goes and sits down and uh, uh, and kind of rolls his eyes and, you know, starts, you know, being engaged in another conversation. And his mother's like, come on, come on. And, uh, 
so he's like, he doesn't do anything, but he just motions to a servant and just whispers to him, just fill the jars with water. <laughs> you know, like under his breath, just fill the jars with water. And the rest is history, right? It's like he, it's like he doesn't want to. He doesn't want to do it, but he tells. Just fill the jars with water, and it turns into the best wine ever. It's the first miracle. But he went beyond his own interest, beyond what he was comfortable, beyond what he had planned to do, and did something because it was good. Um, and uh, has any of you been in that situation? <laughs> you know where. Or is it just me and my mom, where she's like, come on, you know, you know, do something, you know, when I was in seminary, you know, or, or maybe, maybe you've been invited to do something at a party because, you know, you do something, maybe you play an instrument, or, and like, so when I was in seminary, people always asked me to pray, you know, it doesn't matter, hey, would you pray, and would you pray for the food, and I'm like, well, I haven't taken that class yet, but sure, <laughs> <laughs> and, and my my wife was a biology chemistry major uh, at Northridge, and so, she, and then she was a, a medical technologist in a lab for ten years. Well, people all the time were asking her medical science, biology. Didn't matter what it was, she'd always get out. She had to. She was constantly being asked to settle, you know, debates like, you know, how many calories do you have to burn to lose one pound of fat? She's like, I don't know. I'm not a dietitian. Well, what does it mean when my ears are ringing and my nose, you know, is set? she says, I'm not a nurse. Um, and if you ever play anything or you let people know you're practicing guitar, just wait. They will invite you so, to play. So that's just what happens, and that's what happened to Jesus. And he went beyond his own interests uh, to, to do goodness for others. And what was great was his mom knew he would. He'd been good all along and, and said, you know what, you just do what he says. Um, he did something else as well. Uh, Jesus crossed social boundaries for the sake of goodness. Jesus crossed social boundaries for the sake of goodness. Social boundaries, social barriers, social norms, we all follow them. Uh, so, for you know, we all have them. But they're so ingrained in us, we don't even know we have them until we get in an elevator. And then we all look forward, we don't make eye contact, and we don't talk to anybody. That's a social norm. It's a social boundary. And if you wanted to try to talk to somebody, you'd have to really cross a social barrier just to turn and say good morning to somebody. Um, but Jesus crossed those social boundaries, those social barriers. They had them back then in the first century just the same way we do, different ones. So uh, when uh, it, Jews didn't talk to Samaritans, they just didn't. And men did not talk to women in public and only at home if they were related to them. And you would certainly never talk to a Samaritan woman or ask them for help. But we have that story uh, where that's exactly what Jesus does. So in John chapter 4, uh, we read beginning with verse 5. Eventually, Jesus came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. 
Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Then we jump down to verse 27. Jesus said, "Then, then, Just then, his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, What do you want with her? Or what are you talking? Why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village. So this is an example of Jesus crossing several social boundaries, several social barriers to engage in goodness with a Samaritan woman. You've probably heard that uh, noon is not a good time to go to the well for water, that um, going for water is is a social activity. The women of the village would go early in the morning when it's cool, and they would go together and, and hang out together while they're getting water. For you to go at noon, at the hottest part of the day, by yourself, you were an outcast. You were trying to avoid the women. So the Samaritan women already had uh, cast this woman out, and and a Samaritan woman herself uh, was separated from her own village, her own community. But Jesus talked to her. And what's uh, more amazing is that he seemed to know her background. He understood why she was there at noon. And it didn't matter to him. He was ready to engage with her anyway. He was a Jewish man and asked an outcast woman for help, an outcast Samaritan woman for help. Multiple barriers that he was willing to cross to engage with her. He acknowledged her humanity. He valued her as a human being, as a person. And uh, so what about the Christians in the, in the story? The disciples, how'd they handle it? Not that well, right? It says they were shocked that he was talking to this woman. And, and do you think they kept their emotions to themselves? No, because it says as soon as they showed up, she left her jar of water, which was the reason she'd come, and ran back to the village. Great job, Christian hospitality, right? Uh, but he had spoken to her. He had asked her for help. He had treated her like a person. And he made a difference in her life that led her to faith. Why are we trying to have the characteristics of Christ? Because it's the very best life we could possibly live. It's the life we're destined for. And it's the kind of life other people want to have. And if we demonstrate it, they will come to faith. I want to have what you have. That's what she said. Give me this living water. Goodness is a generalist character trait. Any of us can do it. It's, it takes you know, whatever we do, and God will use that as we seek to be good, as we seek to go beyond our own interests, cross social barriers. Uh, it doesn't take a specialist. So here are two things we can do to develop goodness in our own lives. Number one, go beyond our own interests for goodness' sake. Being good leads us beyond our own interests. And I had this happen to me. I wasn't the one that was being good. They were being good to me. When we were camping up on Orcas Island in Washington State, our family had gone up there for a camping trip, and uh, I'd set out the tent. Uh, we have an 8-by-8-foot tent. We have a 10-by-10-foot tarp. I set the tent right in the middle of the tarp. It's all nice and clean. 
The girls helped me with that, and then uh, once we got done, they headed off for an adventure to explore around the lake. And as soon as they left, two fellows from the camp next door came over to say hello. <clears throat> and they did, and they introduced themselves, and then they said, uh, do much camping in the Northwest? And I said, no, not really, mostly in the Southwest, Southern California, Arizona, Nevada. And I said, oh, that's, that's interesting. And, um, and I looked over at their camp. There were no tarps under their, you know, tents. So I, I commented on it. I said, I noticed you guys don't use tarps. And they said, oh, no, we do. We just fold them under the tent so you can't see them. Huh, that's interesting. They said, yeah, um, why do you use your tarps like you do? He said, I said, oh, they're great. You keep about a foot out from the tent so that uh, the girls can sit there and they can take their shoes on and off without getting tracking the dirt in and all of that. And they said, oh, that probably works really well down in the southwest. <laughs> Up here, that's not a porch. That's a pool. <laughs> You've built a swimming pool and put your tent right in the middle of it. Tonight, when it rains, all that tarp is going to capture all that rain and, and send it right down into the center of your tent, right under your sleeping bags. And I went, oh, thanks. And they were so nice. They waited for the girls to leave before they came over so as not to embarrass me. They, they went beyond their own interest. They had plenty to do, plenty to set up. They didn't need to go over to this, you know, Rube over here who didn't know what he was doing <laughs> and help him. But they did. They, they were good to me. And uh, as the girls came back, uh, they saw me folding the last of my carp under my tent. And they said, what are you doing? And I rubbed my manly, you know, beard and scrubble. And I said, well, up here in the Northwest, we best be doing things different. I never did tell them about those two guys either. So. <laughs> so we go beyond our own interests um, for the sake of others. Practice on the people around us. And the second thing we can do is be willing to cross social borders for the sake of others. Social boundaries, social norms. I said we, we, we have them, uh, you know, like being in the elevator and not making eye contact and uh, that sort of thing. We all have social boundaries and borders around us all the time. In the office, uh, in, in, in groups that we're in, uh, there, there's almost unspoken rules, you know, don't get too personal. Maybe that's one that we have. And uh, when somebody does get personal in a meeting and they, they share something deep or uh, maybe something about a family member, what often happens is that the moment they're done sharing, somebody else takes off on a completely different topic, completely ignoring that somebody had just bared their soul. Uh, or worse, they play, I can top that. Right? And, and, the, and it always begins, you think that's bad. And they go off on their own story, and the first person feels like, well, they're embarrassed, they're humiliated. Why did I even say anything? And we can, we can go across that boundary to, to, to say instead, 
thank you for sharing that. You know, I, I'd like to hear more about that sometime. Just a simple thing. I had that experience with a boss that I had uh, where I had to cross several boundaries to be good to her. This is a tough woman. And she rubbed people the wrong way. And she had been a college president, was at the top of her game, and she was tough. And she would um, always be the one who asks questions. She doesn't answer questions. And she was used to getting her way. And I happened to know that she was facing a pretty challenging conversation uh, in a meeting that afternoon. Um, people from the outside were coming in to challenge some decisions that she'd made and ask some pretty tough questions. And, and uh, I just wanted to see how she was doing. Uh, I didn't know if I was supposed to even know there was a meeting, but everybody knew, right? And nobody had come near her office all day. So I went to her office and quietly knocked, and uh, she was looking down, reading something. She said, what? She didn't look up. And everything in me wanted to not say a word and back out, right? And so before she even saw who it was. But I took a deep breath and I walked in and I said, I just wanted to see how you're doing. I know you got this tough conversation coming. How, how is that? And she looked up and she looked out the window. And looked like she was trying to decide whether she was going to open up to me or squash me like a bug for coming in. But she finally opened up and she told me about her fears and, um, and her concerns about this and her sense of loneliness in, the, in, in this whole journey of hers. And I said, do you have anybody that's going to be there for you, an advocate or somebody sympathetic to your side? She said, no, I'm all by myself in this big room of people. And I said, would you like me to go with you? And she didn't say no, but she didn't say yes. What she said was, I don't think you're allowed. I said, I didn't ask if I was allowed. I asked if you wanted me to be there. If you do, I will be. And I was. Later, she said it made such a difference for me to know I had somebody there. I was able to make a difference in somebody's life. I think it was good. Was it really hard? No. But I had to cross a boundary to get there. I had to cross a barrier to get there. We can do that. We can make a difference in people's lives. So this week, some next steps for us to practice. Number one, go beyond your own interests, for goodness sake. Just, just learn the name of the checker at the checkout counter. They usually wear a name tag. Call them by name. You know, go beyond, go beyond your own interests at just getting your own groceries or your own coffee or whatever and, and just take a moment to be engaged with someone about them. Look for some way to engage them. Here's one for people who fly. Buy a little bag of Ghirardelli chocolate or some other kind um, before you get to the airport, you know, CVS, and take it with you. And when you get on the airplane, um, just hand it to the first... Uh, flight attendant who's standing there and in one day is thanking, welcoming, and being ignored by five to six hundred people, right? Thank you, thank you for coming, welcome, and everybody's like, <laughs> right? 
But you're going to go, you know what, this is for you. I want to thank you for what you and all the other flight attendants do. I have gotten hugs and thank yous and had each person, each flight attendant come find me during the flight to say thank you for that. Just because I went beyond my own interests of getting my luggage up as fast as I could and doing something for someone else. Secondly, be willing to cross social borders for the sake of others. Um, it might be somebody who says something in a meeting, who says something in a group. When, when you feel like, ah, I feel like I should say something, but I don't know if I should, go ahead. It, it, when, it, when it seems a little awkward, push through it and, and say something kind. Write a note. That's why I said, you know, to the, the people who've been up here making a difference for us, send them a note. Text them, email them, drop a note, say something, go across that boundary, that border, and make a difference in their lives. I want to wrap up with uh, just to introduce you to a friend of mine named Nicole Phillips. She's, I, I had this good friend, Nicole. I don't mean that she's a good friend. I mean that she's a friend and she's good. Uh, and uh, Nicole has had quite a life, like any of us. And when she was in third grade, her mother fell in love with a prison inmate and divorced her father. And uh, Nicole was raised by her father. And she remembers her father when she was a young teen, begging her to come out of her room and just sit and have dinner with him. And she was too sad to come out of her room. When she was 40, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Uh, and she's a survivor. She's been through a lot. Uh, but what she says is, is that she has found out uh, that people go through things. Uh, people who need help, they're not weak or dirty or broken. She says they are power waiting to be, uh, uh, to, to, waiting to happen. Uh, and Nicole has an amazing life. As I say, now she's a cancer survivor. She's an author. She's a marathon runner. She is the, um, uh, the host of the National Public Radio Kindness Podcast. And I encourage you to check your U version to see a link there or Google her and listen to what she says. Um, she's a generalist. She would say she's kind. I would say she's good. She finds all kinds of ways to express goodness in this world across the nation. And people are changing. Their lives are changing. They're becoming good. They're becoming kind because of her. That can happen for us. We don't have to be specialists in something. We can be generalists and just be good. You know, like her, how we have lived until now may be a mystery, but how we live from now on is up to us. Why not be good?